Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for the All Saints Lutheran Sermon Series of Podcasts. We're so delighted that you've landed on this page, and we ask that you contextualize yourself by reading the descriptor. Enjoy, and let us know what you think. I appreciate the exuberance with which you said, thanks be to God, on that particular text. Don't you wish we still had an intern? That's what I was thinking when I read these texts this week. <laughs> Saints and siblings in Christ, good morning. I have a couple quotes for you. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King Jr. Hate has caused a lot of problems in this world, but it has not solved one yet. Maya Angelou. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus. Hate is a strong word. My mom, and probably most moms. If you heard the words of Jesus this morning and you thought to yourself, huh, that's, that's weird. You are not alone. Certainly, you have a lot in common with the folks who came to our Thursday morning Bible study, who, upon hearing this text, one person looked at me and said, please tell me that there's something in the Greek that means that, makes that mean something else. And the reality is that the word, missio, it means hate. That, that's, that's, that's what it means. There's no way around that. But, but, the historical context of the word gives us hope. And I know, I know this, on my first Sunday out by myself, I know that when a pastor stands up here and says, well, the historical context of the ancient Greek in this passage, blah, 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 blah. Some of your eyes get a little glassy, and you start to lean your head on your neighbor's shoulder. But I ask you, please, please, just bear with me for like 90 seconds of historical context, because I promise it really opens up this text. Because the history of the love-hate binary in Jewish literature means... It means that Jesus' severe command in this text to hate the people we care about the most is not anything like our modern-day understanding of hate. I tell you right now that Jesus is not saying in any way, shape, or form, not advocating for extreme hostility or violence and that which is associated with our modern-day understanding of hate. I hate you not what we're talking about right now. Rather, in the words of Professor Carolyn Sharp, Jesus is calling for a steadfast refusal to allow something less valuable to be replaced with something more valuable. So Jesus is not talking about hating the things and the people who we love, but rather, he's calling on his followers, calling on you and me, to be mindful of who and what we choose to elevate what we choose to hold important in our lives. Which I grant you still isn't easy, but it does give us a chance to unpack some of his words with a clearer sense of purpose. Because I think that you will agree that we all have someone that we love, right? Show of hands. Who here loves someone? 
Yeah? <clears throat> Excellent. Good. All right. Just general regard for people around us. That's good. I love that. We love our families and our friends, and we love our friends who are basically family. We love our pets. We love our kids, our teachers. We love our history and our heritage, the things that connect us to the saints who have gone before us. We love our church. We love the people who God has called us into community with. And that's a good thing. It's good that we love people. The problem, however, is when we elevate those people, places, things, traditions, and history above the needs of others. When we look at our in-kin, whether family or friends or our favorite church community, and we hold them over and above everyone else. Discipleship calls us to set aside that favoritism. Discipleship, Jesus reminds us, is walking a walk that puts the needs of others, especially those who we have othered, above our own. Which leads us, joyfully, saints and siblings, to the other piece of Jesus' words, the call to carry the cross. Which is, according to our friend Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the cost of discipleship. To set aside our own pride, for the sake of the gospel, to put aside our own ambitions, to look past our own wants, even to, according to Jesus, part with our possessions for the sake of the cross. Sounds fun, doesn't it? It's a great marketing campaign. <laughs> See, the problem with the cost of discipleship is that it leans pretty heavily on the idea and the practices of giving something up. It becomes about what you deny, about what you sacrifice, which really isn't a great recruitment tool to follow Jesus. So friends, I invite you, let's, let's flip this on its head a little bit today and consider with me instead the joy of discipleship. Because I gotta be honest with you, I think that following Jesus is a lot of fun. Like a lot of fun. We get to do really cool things when we follow Jesus. So what would it look like for us to view carrying the cross as choosing life instead of fixating on death? What does it look like when instead of talking about giving up a Saturday to paint a wall or a Friday night to bail out the basement of the church or a Monday afternoon to staff the homeless drop-in center, what if instead of talking about it as giving something up, we remember that we're just showing up, doing good, and being kind, walking this walk of faith? Because throughout Luke's gospel, it is clear that when the followers of Jesus carry the cross, lives are saved and changed. Every single time. It is not about self-sacrifice or cost. It is again and again about joy. Carrying the cross pushes us into places that we might never have gone before. It opens us to the way that the Holy Spirit is alive and flowing through every single nook and cranny of society. And it reminds us that living our lives following Jesus means that we get to radically change the world one person at a time. And let me tell you, this is totally ridiculous. It is insane to think this way. 
When you stop and you think about this whole concept of discipleship that Jesus calls, calls us to, it is, it is craziness. When we choose not to elevate ourselves or the things and the people that we love the most over and above the needs of others, we break the rules of our society. When we don't look out for number one, everyone else benefits. Which means I might have a little bit less, but everyone else has enough. Which is a pretty cool concept and a pretty beautiful, beautiful world that we might be able to live in if we were to follow that and act that out. But it takes practice and it takes patience and it takes love, lots and lots and lots of love. And it means recentering and refocusing on the things that really matter again and again and again. And it means loving people who aren't our in kin. Because guess what? God loves them too. Even if we find it hard. <clears throat> Friends, I want to I wanna close today with a prayer that's been circulated in my head from Mother Teresa, whose feast day is tomorrow, by the way. It is a reminder that even when discipleship is hard, how we choose to live out our lives makes all the difference. She prays. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough, but give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. For this good news, we can all say, Thanks be to God.